This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. We're gonna Hi, I'm oh. Evan. <laughs> Sorry, Evan. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a Philip K. Dick, a comics biography by Laurent Cuesi and Mauro Marchese. Oh, my God, my European pronunciation is <laughs> terrible. Uh, I know how to pronounce Philip K. Dick. This is a, 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 bio, a comics biography from NBM Graphic Novels, which uh, apparently stands for Nantier Bill and Min... Uh-oh, more... More... Uh, Minot... Tushini. <laughs> NBM. Um, graphic novels. Is, I'm, I read a lot of comics. I'd never heard of this company before. Um, but when I saw that there was a Philip K. Dick comic biography, I said, we gotta do this. Um, we did one for, uh, for HP Lovecraft. Um, and that was a really good one. And I really like this one. What do you guys think of this? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I found this as fascinating as the as the uh, the love card one. Very different. Oh, I, want more of these. I was rather disappointed in in this. I understand the disappoint. I under. I think I understand mm-hmm. why there's disappointment. One of, one of the things that I find disappointing about it is it's not Philip K. Dick's stories. It's Philip K. Dick's story. Totally, I felt the same thing. There's yeah. definitely major things missing from it that I really wanted in there. Well, I knew there was trouble right away. When he's got this meeting with Ridley Scott, right? Mm. Uh, so it's all flashback, right? We start with, mm-hmm. yeah, it's when he saw Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm. And he writes, Ridley, I have my reservations about your take on replicants and a few things in the screenplay, but what I just saw blew my blew me away. Now, apparently, this is really his point of view, but mm-hmm. it's this author, I don't think understands what Dick's opposition to the portrayal of of androids in the movie is. And I think that's the case throughout much of the the book. I I, I don't want a intellectual biography or a survey of his works either, but I want to understand or I want some insight into Philip Dick's perspective. Yeah, that's what's and, missing. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't have a perspective. No, it's and true. I'm, no, no, I'm it, not it, sure who the audience for this is. To uh, to be honest, I think yeah. if you're a fan of Philip Dick, if you know his story, if Know the Easter eggs if you know what Upic is and the spray can and mm. and, right. and all the Easter eggs are there for you and you can read it and say oh I know that or that's cool. If I picked this up as someone who just heard about Philip Dick and wanted to learn about him, I don't think I'd know what's going on. There. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like who is it for? So w- one of the things that I have a problem with when I see documentaries about Philip K. Dick is they do exactly this, right? They they say here are the events of his life and he had this experience right and then usually they they try and do something trippy like that happens in here. What I really appreciate about this is the visualization of uh, you know Point Reyes and the visualization mm-hmm. of of happy little Philip K. Dick with his his um, science fiction magazines, um, which is kind of uh, damning with faint praise in a certain sense, right? Like. I think I don't think that there was any. I've read uh, Philip K. Dick biography. I probably have it around here somewhere, um, and it it matches the chronology pretty well in here. I think there are uh, a couple of things that I've read about elsewhere that are matched up. Um, I I like that it's other than the flash forward and jump around here and there. Um, I just really like seeing um, the buildings, <laughs> like yeah, the architecture. Yeah. That's what I enjoyed about it is like just getting like all these things we already know about. And I guess that's why we're maybe the audience for the book. Like we already have the insights in the books and just to see it all visualized and the, yeah, the clothing and the people sort of come to life on the page was, was really fun, but there was definitely so much missing. Like the deeper insights. I was thinking, could it be improved by making it a lot longer? Hmm. I, I would just be getting more of the incidents uh, in his life, and I'm not sure that that would be better. 
Yeah, it's um, like an outline of events, right? It is. Like, it's very interesting. It's 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 almost like a, a primer, you know, like a skim- a skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, at the back of the book, there's um, three other um, NBM graphic novels, and I was thinking. I don't really want to read the one of the Beatles. I like the Beatles, but I, I don't want to read that one. Billie Holiday, I don't really, I'm not a music guy, so, although she had a really interesting life, maybe that'd be good. But the Thoreau one, I, I was thinking, oh, that'd be really good, especially if it's the same artist, mm-hmm. right? Because that, uh, Thoreau is a philosophical guy, and the, uh, that being in nature and being uh, self-sufficient and all that stuff would, that might be really interesting. Um, but I was thinking of the books when I was a little kid. There was a book series where it was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a series of books where you learn everything about Beethoven, right? And then the next book is you learn everything about Einstein. It, or uh, I remember the one of Marie Curie, right? So you le- learn basically, it is an outline. It's almost like a kid's version of mm-hmm. the history of a person. A little... I can't remember. I'll, I'll ask my mom if she remembers the name of those books. But um, you're not you're not talking about the the, the for beginners comic. No, books, are you? no, but because, they, because it's a, when you said Einstein, I was reminded of this like graphic novel from the '80s called Einstein for Beginners, and there were other ones like Marx for Beginners, and they weren't they weren't for kids at all. They were adult. No. They were they're kind of like this, except they were in black and white. But they were, they but were, they still publish those. If you go to the kids' book section, they still have huge set. You know, all these little biographies <laughs> for Mark, young readers. Mark, yeah, March of Beginners was not for kids. Believe you me. I remember the the books they had. Um, they were just straight up biographies. But there was each character, each historical character had a little like friend, <laughs> like a demon that sat on their shoulder who was like a little animal, and would ask them questions at points in the narrative and. You know, it was it was definitely aimed at kids, but th- that's what this kind of reminded me of. Now I'm an adult, and I don't, I don't normally like I love handing Lovecraft stuff to little kids because it's cool. They dig it. <laughs> what they don't, I, I don't think you can get Philip K. Dick until you're at least a teenager, because because um, he's dealing with more teenager ideas. Rather than there's this scary monster and there's this this uh, you know a scary idea, but this uh, this is much more so. I, I yeah I don't I have no idea who the audience for this is, but I really appreciated seeing the uh, and that's really I mean maybe that is damning with faint praise, but I really enjoyed seeing the spaces and. Um, there's a secret I think I discovered on the last page and or very close to the last page. And then I, I want to notice, notice if you guys noticed it too, because I, I think it was really well done. It, it reminded me a lot of this style of art reminded me a lot of, um, Jason Burroughs from Providence. He's a very, uh, Oh yeah. Especially with the, with the architecture. So, um, the uh, writer said that he took photos when he went to villa- visit Philip K. Dick's neighborhood in Point Reyes and driving around. And I, I got a real sense of, of the neighborhoods and the places. Um, yeah. And the spaces, too, like him and his typewriter. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, that... a really good sense of space outside and inside throughout the... Yeah. And so I, I agree with your criticism, Evan. Um, but... Uh, This is so cool, guys. Okay. Check out the very first page. Um, uh, It's not numbered, so we have to go by just... uh, Yeah. So it says... I I did find that as a weakness of the book. There's no page numbers. Yeah, I was almost thinking I should pencil these in so I can write them, but that that doesn't help (laughs) you, does it? Um, Page 88. (laughs) It's not going to help you. (laughs) So um, it starts 1334 Maxella Avenue, Marina del Rey, California, December 1981. And we get a a, a space, right? And then, Mr. Dick, pleased to meet you. I'm David Dreyer. I'm in charge of some of the movie special effects. This is my friend, Mary Wilson. (laughs) That is a repeating theme, right? He shows up at some airport with a new girlfriend. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then look at this, the third panel. This is so important. 
In this studio, we make the models for some of the movie settings. Yes, all this is very pretty, but honestly, I'm more worried about the script. And actually, what's so funny is that is Evan's problem, too. (laughs) Okay, so look at the architecture. On the second, uh, on that third panel, it's got a black ceiling, right? Because they're in a studio, sort of. And then, look, turn the page, and you're in the screening room, and look at the ceiling. It's black. Yep. And you will find, if you do like I did, every time you turn the page, it's got a black ceiling. Hmm. For the entire book. But... Now you're making me look. Oh my god. Now, if you take the last page, uh, where he's lying in bed, March 2nd, 1982, and you scroll back... One, two, three, four, five, six pages. You see a model of, uh, of the neighborhood where Philokidix Conapt is. And there's a quote, I think Ursula was right. I'll never solve the metaphysical problems that fascinate me. They haunt me till this, to the day I die. I think that's his apartment building rather than the hospital, but maybe I'm wrong. In any case, um, that shot reminds me of Small Town, which I think is a great, great story by Philip K. Dick. And then if you turn to the page on its left, you can see that he's been living in a set this whole time. We look oh, down. Yeah, well, 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 like, well, you know, like a, like a sitcom sort of point of view. Yeah, or I was thinking more in Philip K. Dick terms, uh, Perky Pat. Oh, yeah! Oh, God, I didn't think And just that zoom out, if you look at the, the panel above, we've got the fan, and then we're pulling back, and we see, mm. and then we pull back. Interesting. And that visual is... You start with the, the image, the last image on the page before, you start with him, then it's him and the fans, then it's then it's the room. Then it's yeah. Then it's the, then then it's the uh, the conduct. Then it's the then, airplane, then, it's, then the, it's the world. Then it's the world. Then it's the globe. Then it's in his mind's eye. Then and, he dies. And and I went through the whole book looking at at it backwards when I discovered that. And every ceiling is black. Now the sky outside is not black, right? But every ceiling is black. And as that that sort of attention to comics paneling is so important to me um and if you scroll back enough you see him at the airport um uh where he i was thinking oh it's possible my mom mom lied to me about who my father is because he was in town when i would have been conceived (laughs) vancouver he's in uh at the airport in vancouver and then it starts willis that's my last name thank your students for bailing out an old Science fiction author. I leave Exclay on Thursday to fly back to Fullerton. So this is him actually, uh, I guess, uh, arriving back in um, in Fullerton rather than arriving at the airport in Vancouver. But if you look at the ceiling there, it's black, but the skylights look like windows. And uh, just that kind of... Even, you know, right. when there are lights on the ceiling, I just thought that that is something you can do in film or something you, you can do in comics that you can't do in a regular biography, uh, on the page. You know, straight up biography. And if I'm going through the book, it looks like the only time it doesn't have black ceilings is when he's in the present day dying on his, in his hospital room. Yeah, uh, and usually that's, um, it's, they're just white. White. And what yeah, I really like about that is um, that sort of fits with the platonic thing that he's he's really always thinking about, right? So if you go to that very first, um, chronologically in his life, January 26, 1929, um, 7, 7, 8, 12, Emerald Avenue in Chicago, another very 1920, it's really interesting architecture and all that stuff. And on the left panel, it says Phil, right? And mm. he's standing in a white space. This is often the symbol for, even in like H.P. Lovecraft stuff, the symbol for um, the platonic realm. 
It's mm-hmm. the absence of black space. It's the white space. It's where we're all called from when we're born. Um, and then that theme occurs again and again sort of throughout the book, right? That white page, him in the hospital bed, him yeah. uh, in his bedroom. So, and you know, even when he's outside with Mr. Tagomi, um, there's a color change. So uh, it's something to do with the graphic narrative and the color, which we didn't get in the Lovecraft comics biography. Really important, I think. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I, 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 there's so many ones I wanted to take pictures of while I was reading. I only did a couple. But. Um, yeah, some of them are really beautiful. And uh, his expressions, like on that one where you say, like, his name's been called and he's mm-hmm. standing in the white space. Like, mm-hmm. I just love that whole posture and expression where he looks kind of like startled and yeah. confused. They're calling my name. Yeah. And really I'd, I'd not heard of this. Uh, I mean, I knew about his his little sister and stuff, but the Meemaw ha- hiding in the bathroom. With the I baby. didn't know that bit either. No. Yeah. Did you know about that, Evan? Uh, not really. Yeah. I mean, I may have read it in a biography a long time ago. Does it? Let me look at their bibliography. It's yeah. Just, sucked it. A few of the ones sucked I've read, but yeah. I kind of wished for that as I was going through. I kind of wanted footnotes or something so I could look mm. up where he got the stuff from. Mm. There are quotation marks around things that are, you know, directly quoted sometimes. But um, and sometimes we've got exact dates, and sometimes we've got um, just you know years, and then it mm-hmm. says six months later or whatever, or the exact date. So there was some interesting things like um, with the things that I thought were missing, like. Um, I guess like some of the details, like I, I really wanted to see him thinking about androids or simulacrum yeah, or it's not spiders, really... you know, like why isn't there a spider in a mug? Like all these little oh, things, that would have been the so good. Switch. Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 the, there's the bit with the three stigmata, but yeah, there's a, there's a lack of it. It is. Of uh, otherwise. I, I think it's the, the same syndrome <laughs> as um, Evan always points to. A lot of people focus on his late stuff. And so when he's, he gets the bottle of, he's taking, he's stealing his mom's pills. I didn't know about that either. Um, he's stealing his mom's pills and he's also taking speed and all that stuff. And then he sprays the Ubik on the pills and then eats them. And then there's another spray where, the guy's freaking out about bugs under his skin. And he, he, oh, that, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that that was clearly a reference to um, uh, Scanner Darkly. Yeah. yeah. So there was like those yeah. big references. I but really, the, I was really looking for smaller stuff that I didn't but, really find. Yeah. Again, that's what I like. I think those are Easter eggs for people who know. I, I just, if, yeah. I tried to imagine. I didn't read Ubik if I never know if I don't know anything about it, and I see the reference. I, I read this, there's really this can of something called Ubik that he sprayed his right, pills right, and his paper right. um, there. And then there's a little quote from the, you know, he typed up this and this, I guess that's text from the book. I don't quite remember exactly. Maybe it's from exegesis later or something, but I'm guessing it's from the story. But still, I don't know what Ubik is supposed to be. And it's there for the fans. Yeah. And so I... I read this very carefully trying to imagine if, if I gave this to my daughter, huh. could she have a conversation about Philip Dick with me? You know, she would know he had a lot of wives and a lot of kids. Yep. And that's, yeah. a, that's, that's interesting. Somewhat valuable, I guess. Hanging out with, with those hippie drug users yeah. for a yeah. while. It, is, it was events. fun seeing that, seeing like, you know, this 18 yeah. year old Tessa sitting on his lap and stuff. It's just, yes. funny to see but then you got the thing. Yeah. This yeah, this Tagomi scene, which I I, I find myself really drawn to the wordless panels, like that page, yeah, where there's no dialogue, where it's just him in the spaces. I almost thought I think that those are better. Yeah. So this is like one of the things that I didn't like about it was the dialogue. Like I really didn't. I thought that it was all very like on the nose and kind of awkward in places. Like translated. 
Which yeah. is part of the explanation. Uh, that's Tilted, I think. Yeah, and kind of um, everyone is very happy and just talking very directly to each other. So I didn't. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more where right? I could like engage and interpret and you know use your knowledge of Philip K. Dick to understand what's going on. And mm. it was a little um, dry, I guess. Mm. Uh, I I really I, I I like the touches, like the uh, the scene again, no page number, where they're outside art music. Like, I've pictured this place in my head many times, but now I've got actual visualization of, I mean, it's not a photograph, but it's as close to, in fact, it's better than a photograph, right? Because it has the cars of the era, and it has the... I know. Right? And yet, and yet, no working in the, like, radio repair store or with TVs, like, Mm. ah! Mm. (laughs) That was the same boss, and I was like, Oh God! I just there was the, every time I loved something like that, I was like, "There's something missing." It, it, that's what I was thinking. Is it, it's too short, but then do we really want more of what we're getting? As opposed to what I really like is when you see that image, and then he sees this guy Vince, who we've never seen before, right? And then he explains about the driving lessons from the FBI. Like a lot of this stuff is familiar, and I'm sure it's not familiar to most. Like if you if you had read a few Philip K. Dick novels, I think this would probably be fine, right? You yeah. would have some questions, but um, when he takes the uh, this is really interesting. I was like, I wonder if this happened because that could have happened, where he's meeting this guy Vince, and then he's got a copy of Solar Lottery in his pocket, and then he takes it and he drops it on the floor because he doesn't want to be seen with it. And I was thinking, well, that's possible that ha- that happened, but that's actually just a metaphor for what I saw again and again, which was him, he's really trying to break through into the mainstream and get that respectability. Right? There was an article yesterday I saw in the New Statesman, somebody retweeted, um, I don't read the New Statesman, but it was about H.G. Wells um, and the his legacy, and it's talking about a particular book called Tono Bungay, which is like a, a book I've never read, but is... Um, about a get-rich-quick scheme uh, for a chemist shop or something where he's invented a cure-all. It's not one of his more famous books, but it's about class change, going from one class to another. And I was thinking, well, that uh, in the article they talk about how a lot of people were dissing um, H.G. Wells as a bad writer. And I heard that, too, when I first started reading Philip K. Dick, that he was a bad writer. And there are clunky sentences here and there. Um, I, I find them endearing myself. Um, and certainly there are some things way better written than others. Like I'm not a big fan of the writing in The Variable Man. But that's because it's not as funny as it should be. And it's, it doesn't have these little touches. It's more formulaic and plot-driven and idea-driven for those plot purposes. But... When you actually look at Philokitic's writing, like, he can be poetic in the extreme. And the same is true with H.G. Wells. He was incredibly good, and yet he was dissed. And I said something on Twitter about this thing. It says, right from the beginning, even before science fiction had a name, the basically father of science fiction was being shit on for writing science fiction. Right? He was being shit on by the Upper class writers, the ones who the literary were writing mainstream literary books, the important yeah. books about divorces and and that's this scene and the fact that this is you know his obsession. He wants to fire his his um, his literary agent to write mainstream books because he can't sell them. And he got one published in his life, lifetime. He thought that they were really important. Did he think they were really important, or was it really important for him to change class? I think it was really important for him to change class. A lot of people are not cool with the idea of being classified as science fiction writers, because what happens? You're thought down of, and I don't want to be thought down of. I want to be respectable like I should be up in my elite. And so there's this pettiness that comes with spending time in Philip K. Dick's actual life that I don't like. <laughs> but there, 
ideas come from his actual life. So that's why I'm feeling very ambivalent about this. Is that, and I think scenes like that are, like, I don't know if that's a tr- was a true incident, but it totally could have happened because he's trying to get respect from his friends. And, and at, when, when you compare that to when he's, he's, um, in his room with his little friend, uh, from school. I don't mean little, although he's changes size there. Maybe that, maybe, maybe that stuff is good, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's, he shrinks down. There's a lot of interesting sort of subtle things going on. So I, I think there's a sort of a, there is a, there is a scriptural problem, but I'm not sure how to solve it. If you understand mm-hmm. what I mean, because I, I like the, like the excitement on Philip K. Dick's face on the page facing Half-Life where he's a little baby in an incubator. Um, yeah, that's great. Seeing him with his magazines. It's the latest issue. Not done reading <laughs> yeah. it yet, but there's a story by my, by A.E. Van Vaught in it. One of my favorite authors. You know him? Uh, no. <laughs> Says the other kid, right? And then my yeah. kingdom. And then you step into his room and on his desk is return to Lilliput. And he's, he's, He's got his uh, Gustav Mahler album. I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine that other kids were saying, "Oh, great Mahler! I love him." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that music. like image that a weird little kid, right? And his social anxiety and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Then, then he switches over and he's having the asthma attack and he's shrinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, is that I the mean, judgment, it, right, of the friend? The judgment of the friend. You're into the, that. The, the the reference to Lilliput, yeah, it it, it all t- and then and then we wind up with him sitting on the bed with him back in the present on on the respirator. It's it's I mean I, I mean I I think you and Evan are right. I'm not sure who this biography is for. It doesn't. It's a book card. Kind of works for people who know him and his story and his works, exactly. and but it doesn't work. Well, for people who, I mean, as you said, the average person, if I hadn't known who Phil K. Dick was, I wouldn't really be able to tell you what his work was all about when I finished this book. I, 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 I just didn't learn anything new about his work. I learned about his bite, his life story, and that's about it. I, I, I'm sort of going with the idea that I have to appreciate it on a visual level. And it, it's sort of a... It does work visually, definitely. I mean, it has a good a good way of telling the story. I think what the frustration is what story it is it is telling. Well, I was it's thinking, telling it well, but not the necessarily story we want. Remember Jason Eckhart's um, illustrations and the framing device used in in the H.P. Lovecraft uh, biography that we did a show on um, is that it's a show, right? It's a sort of a stage play, and all the people are testifying as to what what. H.P. Lovecraft's life was like. I think we have a lot more information about Lovecraft's life than we do about Philip K. Dick, which is kind of hilarious given that we have video of Philip K. Dick and recordings and, uh, you know, lots of letters, but it's because Lovecraft just wrote way more about what was going on and took tons of notes. Uh, if Philip K. Dick did, did that, we, we don't have access to it. I'm pretty sure he didn't write as much as, as, mm. um, as a letter writer, but um, I think that that solution couldn't be solved in the same way here because Philip K. Dick's stuff is so, uh, I mean, one thing we could be doing is we're trying to market the book, which I don't think is a good idea, <laughs> right? That's not our job um, to market the book, but we're also, we're saying like, why, why does it work? Why does it not work? Um, I really like that uh, Lovecraft, biography because it was densely packed it did visualize some stuff but um we got a lot of stuff about his interactions with other people whereas philip k dick is very internal in here and this is more about the events that formed his internalization so the famous scene from his life i was just flipping around so it's i don't know just a little under halfway through where he sees a giant metal face in the sky. Right. 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 Yeah. This, these two pages worked incredibly well because there's almost no text and he, we see him see the, the horror. I love the lines on the road and the, the, um, 
you know, that you see that it's a modern setting. And then you see him running to the shack. And he closes the door in fright, grasps his head, puts some ta- some t- typewriter paper in the typewriter, and starts writing. Um, that, I think, does the connection. That, you know, we can see the, like, almost if we take out the rest of the dialogue where we see, you know, on the next pages, them going to visit the father... And then opening the door and he's got the gun in his hand. Apparently a real incident. Um, it wasn't how I pictured it in the other book, but it's good enough. And then the wife, or ex-wife, and the, the kid. Like, that, I think, is powerful. But, yeah, the dialogue helps us, I guess. When I see Harlan Ellison and they have the long telephone conversation... Um, notice that Harlan oh, that, Ellison. That, that scene was so frustrating for me too, though. It, I don't know. Maybe I'm coming at this as as just the way I'm trained, you know, and the biographies I've read. Mm-hmm. You know, these things got to be explained. So this conversation, okay? Yeah. Well, who knows who Dangerous Vision is? I know what Dangerous Vision is, mm-hmm. but how many people out there really do? Then you, then there's this line: If only you could read the story Farmer sent me and Delaney, right. a masterpiece. So this is Riders of the Purple Wage and I and Gamora, right? Mm-hmm. They're right. both really interesting, great stories. But how many people know about Riders of the Purple Wage by no, Farmer? I mean, and then, even 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 the, the the shout out to Roddenberry, it, it seems it's 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 kind of fan service. Yeah, is what I oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I, uh, what I think that this, th- these things actually happen, but I also think like what's interesting here is that he hasn't read Philip K. Dick's entry. Philip K. Dick hasn't mm-hmm. read the entries that Harlan Ellison is talking about, and yet they're kind of colleagues, but they're dis- they're separated by these this distance, right? And you can see that when they pull the panels together or parallel, you know, sometimes they're in the same panel, right? That that um, sort of mutual success, we're achieving mutual success, is then destroyed when he gets off the phone. It's almost like, like you know, the worlds are fake. <laughs> and and I agree with everything you're saying, Evan. I just, I, I'm so appreciative of how many scenes where he sits on the couch, right? <laughs> when they take the furniture away. That, those are all good scenes. How many, I mean, sitting at the desk and actually doing the typewriter. What I would say is if, if I was going to fix this, I would, I would cut it off at a certain date and not by the second volume, which is about his, his later life, because I'm much more interested in his, his early life than I am in his later life. Like, there's nothing about his dad in here. Um, and, uh, I think we just don't know. And that's probably why it's so heavily weighted towards the back. Um, you know, yeah, I, I feel the awkwardness of what you're saying. Like, and this isn't even fan service. It's just facts, right? So when, um, the two teenagers are at the party and Tessa says, he's got a certain charm. And at the same time, you feel like looking after him. And then the, her girlfriend like spits beer out of her mouth. Uh, in a spit take, bet you ten bucks you won't go over there and sit over on his lap to cheer him up. Can I have a seat? Uh, sure. And he jumps in and jumps on her lap. And then, uh, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a meat cute, I guess. But why is it here? Because it's a fact we know about his life. So, I'm not sure that this could have been done a lot better. I really just really appreciate seeing like the visual, uh, like the visualizations of the, the physical spaces. And I think one of the reasons that's so important is Philip K. Dick generally doesn't do that. When he does do it, he, he mentions things, right? But we don't like, we, we don't know the color of the couch generally, unless that's a plot point. And th- that has been a plot point in his stories, but. I, I, I just really, I, I think it's the visual element that makes this so interesting to look at. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like it's the, um, 
I don't know. I guess it's the same thing we're saying. It is kind of for us. Like we know these little stories and these moments. So just seeing it all colored in and I don't know. I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. It's, it's, it's in no way a um, detailed biography um, in the way that the one I read is. Um, Am I I the only person here who has not read a Philip K. Dick biography till now? Not one of us. Not yes. one of us. Uh, I, okay. You are the I, only one. I, I you just read, read one. Bio- you I, read this I, I one. Don't read a lot of, I don't read a lot of biographies as a general rule, so I don't have a lot of bio- – I don't have another biography of his to compare against. Mm. So, so, so a lot of his kind of, book well, – Well, maybe you're the audience for this, Paul. What did you think of this book? Yeah. I, I, as I said at the beginning, I really liked it, but because maybe I'm the audience. It's like yeah, – I mean, Maybe that his, is it. His, his – I mean – his personal life, I mean, I've really been absorbing from stuff that Evan said and you said and Marissa said on the various podcasts. But I mean, I know the, I knew the general outline of his life, but that's about it because I, because I don't read biographies as a general rule. So I just like to kind of knew the basic facts. So this helped fill in those facts and presented in an interesting visual language some of the things. So maybe I'm the audience of one for this. I, I, I read his book. I've, I've read his books. I've read his work. I understand his work. I get all the references, but his actual personal story is something I didn't know in as much detail until I read this book. Here's a question, Paul. Have you seen, had you seen, um, Philip K. Dick's house at 1126 San Francisco Street, Berkeley, where he first moved in with his first, I think it was his first wife. Maybe it's his second wife. I think it's his I've, first wife, Cleo. Had you I've, seen it before? No. Okay. So, that is what the house looks like. I looked it up on uh, Google Street View, and it looks like that. I mean, it's got bigger bushes now, um, but the house is still there, and that's what it looks like. And I think did I, they literally drove around all these sites to make these panels, Yeah, right? that's what he says in the back of the – in the – what's the – postscript. Yeah. Um, and there are there are things in here that – are actually like um the big shock for me oh i really i was like oh my god that's so interesting this is on the page opposite um a great image where philip k dick is very young this is one of my favorite images in the book um he's got a stubbled face and he's it's a full page spread of him standing in the glory of his 1952 1953 1954 publications where he's surrounded yeah. by these science fiction magazines that his stories are in. And those are accurate covers because I've gone through those, right? Those are, those are the covers of the issues that like at the bottom, there's the world, uh, the world she wanted in the bottom left in the blue cover science fiction quarterly, which is oh. right there. Right. And, uh, Mr. Uh, uh I was going to say Mr. Spaceship. But, uh, if you just go left of his head, there's planet stories and that's beyond lies the wub. I mean that that's he's not on the cover there, but that's the issue that it's in, right? And so, then there's the magazine of Fantasy Science Fiction where he his name is on the cover, yep. along with Jack Vance and Isaac Asimov. Those so, are yeah. so that visualization was a delight. But then it's just a, a picture visualization. But on the right hand side of this page, Sir Francis Drake Hotel. I'm like, holy shit. No wonder Sir Francis comes up so many times in and, his and, stuff. Oh, yeah, in his novels, yeah. Right? San Francisco, September 4th, 1954. I assume that that is a real hotel, and that's where the convention was ha- held. I, I assume it so much I don't even bother to look it up because I trust th- these facts. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, is that shows up in a story called Out in the Garden, where that's the name of the duck, right? <laughs> Sir Francis. Right? And he's a male duck, aka a drake. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Bell's <laughs> gay dick taking that idea. But also, Sir Francis Drake is important in that he circumnavigated the globe. And if you go from San Francisco to Vancouver, there's this idea that maybe Sir Francis Drake got as far as these places. Right? And that's why that name is in there. And Philip K. Dick wrote a whole novel. I'm trying to remember the name of it now, where Sir Francis, Dr. Fran- Dr. Futurity, Dr. there we go. Yes. Where Sir Francis Drake's, um, presence on the coast of, uh, Berkeley, um, 
Yeah, the time travel one. in San Francisco, right, was was important. So that kind of detail, um, because I had not known it before that there was a convention held at that hotel, was uh, like that was a little spike of wow, that's amazing. Uh, and then him meeting his heroes, um, A.E. Van Vaught, having them actually show up and then having Harlan Ellison like, hey, I've read your stuff, right? Um, that is cool. So uh, there are things I, I'm overly familiar with in here that I didn't like, but there's so many, you know, or I just thought, oh, yeah, I guess we have to do that. Mm-hmm. But... um Going out to that shack, he goes out to that shack a few times. It's terrific. There's also, I feel Wives like... Wives leaving him, that's another... Oh my god. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like they, door. they took a lot of this from um, Anne's biography, that's all the wife stuff, and mm-hmm. so many of, like, even, um, like, some of the dialogue is directly from her, and mm-hmm. he, because he did write a lot of letters to his girlfriends and wives and daughters mm-hmm. and to his mother. So there is a lot of stuff that they've just taken directly from that. But I, I haven't read his selected like, letters, so. Yeah, like how funny he is, isn't in here? Like some of the that's stuff he r- says. That's true. And the letters are hilarious and they're not, those parts aren't in this book, which no, is kind of this is not a comedy. It's, it's a, a tragedy, really. Um, yeah. And, uh, and there is a, it's, it's a little bit too self-oriented, um, which is funny because it's about somebody else, right? This, the, the people, it's, it's about his internal stuff a little bit too much, but, um, just them going to a Chinese restaurant and seeing a 1949, uh, uh, um, store where he works. Yeah. Um, that's great. I, yeah, I really the Chinese restaurant that. was amazing. I didn't know that he sat in those booths because he doesn't like eating in public. That's right, right. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. That's yeah, the parallels like with you. with uh, um, the weirdnesses of HPL. Yeah, totally. Sorry, HP Lovecraft, Evan. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Evan doesn't well, like the CKD. Uh, I guess he's sort of become a brand too. He has become a. Uh, I, I do shorten it um, in tweets because I have short characters. I'm sorry, but I, I agree with you. I don't like sci-fi. Um, I like science fiction or SF, and maybe that's the snob in me. <laughs> um, what's going on with his mom, yo? Because his dad's hmm. his dad's gone. And his mom is telling him he's going to become a homosexual if he moves out. I know that that was a hang-up he had, uh, probably from what his mom said. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that she said that. That's wild. If you move out, you're going to become a homosexual as a threat. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> well, that's just like, I, I was thinking, like, why hasn't Marissa well, mentioned this really strange relationship with his mother before? It's like, wow. <laughs> Well, I was thinking, uh, why is his dad absent, right? So I'm going to read that page, um, bottom right panel. Leave this house, leave me, and you'll wind up a homosexual. And then he, Philip Kidding says, why? Because you're weak. Weak! Wow. Like who? Is his dad gay? Is that what was going on? We, mm. well, There's no evidence for that, right? And it doesn't give evidence for it here. But we have a hidden biography. Uh, you know, where did he come from? What little I know about Philip K. Dick's dad, and he's barely in this book. He's at the beginning, right? Um, oh, I think he's at the beginning. No, he's not. He's not even no, there. He's, he's, he's absent from the book. That's the doctor. Yeah. He's fatherless. Okay, so um, he's surrounded by women <laughs> growing up. Uh, they moved across the country. Um, the only thing I know about him from his biography was that uh, as a World War One veteran, he had a um, a uh, gas mask that apparently might have frightened Philip K. Dick and sent his mind going. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and that's about all I know about Philip K. Dick's dad. Um, so the mom's definitely traumatized in some way. Um, 
I don't know. Hmm. It, it does concentrate on on his later life a, a little bit too much for my my thing. But, but, but I think I, I think that's what people I think that's what people the, the the authors think that people are most interested in because that's what's what what most people first connect to him is either through the, the his later weirdness or through Blade Runner and and, and rather, rather I mean I've I've enjoyed what we've done going from the beginning and looking at his stuff from the beginning before ever touching that later stuff but mm-hmm. for 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 a lot of fans i mean he's blade runner and man in the high castle and weirdness at the end and not much else and so that's i mean so a, a biography is going to focus on on that and it starts with blade runner and we have the scene with tagomi and we have the later weirdness and that's what the the biography focuses on because that's what they perceive the audience is most interested in. Yeah, I, I think this would be a good contribution if they could have nailed the later weirdness. That would be a public service mm. to mm-hmm. clearly explain that for for someone who doesn't want to work through the exegesis or those Vallis novels. Well, I so appreciate you doing that for your what podcast. What's going on? Because I do think there's there's a set of ideas that he was playing with. Right. And it's just a bit opaque for, I think, a lot of people. And I don't know, for some, maybe that's what's attractive about it. It's just like weird ideas. Hmm. I just like flipped through Anne's biography while we're talking and there's tons on his father in the back of that, which, yeah, which I don't remember offhand, but there's stuff about his dad taking him to like a radio station and Philip K. Dick wearing a cowboy suit and all this stuff. So I don't know why it's not in the comic version well i think you know they have to pick a number of pages and yeah but just you know a I couple panels Paul's right about that <laughs> um about uh, there's a lot of him lying in that bed right and that that focus on the end yeah um, i'm glad that it's, didn't it, happen in in the lovecraft book you know where he's lying in bed dying of colon cancer that's not so fun no um, and he minim you know he 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 minimized that interaction uh with his world um you know just not showing up for uh regular night walks or whatever but i cannot i cannot underestimate the value of seeing what those houses look like when mm-hmm. philip k dick moves to point reyes um this makes me want to go there cuz i I've been to San Francisco. I didn't, I wasn't really big into Philip K. Dick when I did, but, um, my, my friend Steen, he went, um, when he was driving across, uh, from, uh, Ontario to California, um, he stopped in the town where Philip K. Dick is buried. And I said, you gotta, I said, you gotta stop there and, and, and see. Right, because I hear his grave is in that town and that you're going to be going right near, and he did, and he took a photo, and that was kind of cool. Um, be, and I was thinking, why is why is he buried in Colorado? And his whole life is California, right? Uh, he's got that little incident in Vancouver. He's got two trips mentioned in here to, um, oh, not mentioned, shown in here to France. For two conventions, right? Pretty sure it's two. Um, but it's mostly he's a California guy living in California. I, uh, the art in here, I don't know if you guys have read it, but you've probably seen the movie. Um, or if not, you should, because it's a good movie. Um, Ghost World, have you guys seen that? Um, no. Oh, it's no. so good. Um, it's Steve, Steve Buscemi's in the movie. Um I'm trying to remember the name of the art, uh, Close, <laughs> Daniel Close, um, C L O W E S. Uh, I should just type it in and then I'll bring it up. Um, the art style reminded me a lot of that Close, uh, Ghost World. Um, sort of spare, um, uh, but you can recognize the characters. Oh, yeah, really good. Just type in Ghost World, Daniel Close, C L O W E S. Um, and it's basically the same kind of lifestyle where, you know, you could live outside if you had to because it's California, it's warm. Uh, but you don't, you hang out inside in, in the suburbs and, um, 
live sort of around. <laughs> and that's the what the movie's about and that's what the the book is about. It's just about some weirdos hanging out. Um but it's profound in that they're making connections. Um especially mm-hmm. older men and younger women, which is a Philip K. Dick thing as well. Um but yeah, so in the movie, uh which is sort of a just a slice of the Ghost World comics, um uh, what's that actor? Steve Buscemi is sort of this older weirdo who a couple of teenage girls sort of hang out with. Um, and he's geeky, um, in a old grizzled sort of way. And they're geeky in a young, uh, teenager girl sort of way, but they're friends. And it's kind of like a less let's get married version of Philip K. Dick. And that sort of California aesthetic, I, uh, maybe maybe you guys are all much more familiar. Uh, Marissa, you're in California right now. You're much more familiar with it than um, I am. Paul, you've been to California, I assume. I, I, I lived in California for almost a year. So there yeah. you go. So it has a vibe that's different um, than Vancouver or Seattle or I'm sure or, or or New York or Minneapolis. That's for sure. All sorts of places I've never been. It's it's not Hawaii and it's not Europe. It's it's its own thing, um, and I appreciated. Seeing this, this, especially the area around San Francisco in this book, uh, immensely. Mm-hmm. I've said it so many times now, but, um, and there's so many beautiful images. There's, I'm just turn, turn the page and I find, um, one of his wives. I don't know which one it is. Oh, it's Cleo storming in from her truck or, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a car. It just looks like a truck. A few months later, storming into the house. Philip, where are you, Philip? Cleo. What are you doing here? He's at the he's at the um, typewriter. <laughs> Christ, Philip! Don't I count for anything? You cheated on me, left me, and since I'm a nice person, I let you have the house and went back to Berkeley so you could live with your new wife. Please, Cleo, calm down. I left everything. I left you everything, Philip. Everything, even the house. All I took was the car, and you, Cleo. What? Have I no idea what? You promised you'd bring me the car title. <laughs> right? I was just By the way, on, yeah. Oh, how cool is she that she was going to those uh, workshops for him to learn writing stuff and bringing him back the information because he didn't want to go and because his social anxiety <laughs> be with was people. So much. Yeah, uh, but uh, the reason I started reading this is because that first panel, she's walking towards the house. She's got this green glow around her head. It's just beautiful. Uh, that, that color green oh, with yeah. that purple dress. Oh, yeah. It's just beautiful. And, um, the, the panel designs, I mean, I don't buy comics for, uh, I, I read a lot of comics, guys. I don't buy comics for the art because if the writing sucks, it's no good. Even if it's great art, the writing sucks. I just get mad. If the writing's okay and it's really good art, I'll, I'll probably keep reading it. Um, but if it's the greatest writing and the panels are terrible, if the art is terrible, I will just stop reading it. It's a very delicate balance. Like it, a really good audiobook narrator cannot save a bad book, right? Uh, but a really good audiobook narrator can make an okay book really good. And, and, and a bad narrator or a narrator doesn't work for you can torpedo a book that you otherwise a would enjoy. A great book. That's right, Paul. Yeah. And that's the balance in a con- – so that's the, the problem. I think they've got a number of problems in in this book and it it is mostly audience expectation i think that they're focused yeah. on the later stuff um but overall i'm i'm impressed with the art enough to say wow this is really a good book you should pick it up if you i i, I I'm, you, I'm glad you sent it to me uh, no you bought that one yourself paul Oh, that's what I did. Never, never mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, no, Thank you, You're welcome. No, I was thinking, no, no, I bought this place. I buy too many books. I didn't really remember I bought this place. I'll take credit for it. Um. I appreciated the the daughters in this. Yeah. yeah. I like uh, the attention to Laura, and especially that that we see the scene with the gun, right, where he opens the oh, door yeah. and he's got the gun. Oh, God, and then the very next page is her visiting him in the hospital in the last yeah, day. Yeah, that was beautiful. Nice. And then there's another scene when this is when Nancy leaves him, and it must. Be, she says she's going to leave him. He says no. And then it must be a few days later because he's wearing different clothes. But he's watching them drive away, and then you see 
the the girl kind of out the back window looking at him. Mm-hmm. I mean, here a little bit. Um, you know, I I don't know much about the daughters. You know, they're the estate, so mm-hmm. uh, so I guess I haven't had the. You know more about that than me, Jesse. All I know is uh, they're frauds. <laughs> or, yeah, but they're, they're presented here as kind of sweet. So. Uh, look, uh, the and thing is, is too, everybody is an asshole at some point in their life, right? But if it's a consistent pattern, I don't know. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. sure they're nice people to their kids, and then uh, you know they're probably good. But Philip K. Dick, uh, like, well, there was a great little uh, line about him at the end of this um, postscript. Um, saying, uh, here it is. It's on the last page of the postscript and the last column of the first, uh, sorry, last line of the first column. The portrait of a highly complicated man, friendly and difficult. A good man gifted with great empathy, but also his share of darkness. Um, that does not apply to H.P. Lovecraft, right? A portrait of a highly complicated man, friendly and difficult. A good man gifted with great empathy, but also his share of darkness. That is not just anybody. That's pre- that difficult, right? Is the is the hard part, right? He's got his demons. At one point in here, he says, "I've been se- I was sexually molested as a child." I don't remember that in any of the biographies. Yeah, it is. Anne talks about it. Is it? Okay. Well, she talks about him telling her that, but she didn't know if it was real or not. Well, I don't think it's something people usually, you know, go around. I mean, people could go around lying. He might, but the the other thing is, he might be wrong. Um, because there was sort of the phenomenon, and ev- there was that phenomenon where uh, McMartin trial, right, where they were saying everybody was molested at this place and it turns out nobody was yeah um so uh and with him going to uh various psycho psychoanalysts and stuff that that sort of stuff could have been um backwards i mean one of the things right that uh, tessa dick that's the one who's still alive right Mm -hmm. yeah she uh, like if you (laughs) marissa and i uh (laughs) we're talking about the youtube channel I, uh, I, I was watching it for the pictures, but while I was watching it for the pictures, I was hearing what she was saying. And what she was saying is, it was crazy. I, it was, you know, yeah. straight up weird conspiracy stuff. Um, and that, that's what frightens me. Like I've, I think it's a couple of times that I've like looked her up or seen her and just the conspiracy stuff is just. Yeah, I, yeah, I listened to her on a radio show. Yeah, yeah her radio it's show. It's one of those like two a.m. Yeah, con- and it's a half hour wow. and it doesn't radio make a lot show. of sense. Um, but it's, it's very fine. But she kept trying to pull Phil into this. But what, when that scene uh, with her happens, um, oh, I don't know what page number it is. It's near the end. Your eyes are closed to your son's birth defects, says some voice from the sky. Your son is in danger. He has a, he's listening to music. He has a right in, in gule hernia that's popped the hydro seal and has gone into the scrotal sack. You must get him to the doctor, to the doctor immediately. And then he takes off his headphones, goes into the bathroom or changing room. Tessa, Christopher's in trouble. What? He has a birth defect, a hernia. It's descended into a scrotum. We all have to get him help right away. Are you sure? Absolutely. We have to take him to the doctors right now. I'm shake. I'm in shock. I'm shaking. I can't even drive again where he can't go out. Right. I'll take him. And he's sitting on the couch again. One of those great scenes where he sits on the couch. Well, <laughs> he has a hernia on his right side, which descended into a scrotum. We have an appointment for an emergency operation tomorrow. So this sort of thing to me is not a sign of divine revelation. This sort of thing to me is a sign of bad recollection because uh, I think we had an incident on this podcast where I was recalling the name of somebody incorrectly and saying I had punched them in the face when it was in fact a different person with a similar name, right? Yep, I remember that. That incident is exactly the kind of mistakes that 
you know, like she's saying this, he said to us, he said to her, there's something wrong with Christopher and it's exactly this. And then you go to the doctor and then you remember it later and you remember it as being a sign. This is classic, classic, um, you know, uh, magical thinking of the horoscope kind, right? My horoscope yeah. told me yeah. I'm right. So all of this stuff does not add any value to my life other than here's another incident of that. Well, um, it's also, it was weird reading this biography and listening to that short story that we just did. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the people's delusions um, becoming reality for the people around them because that's what I, when I saw Tessa at like this talk and she was talking about Philip K. Dick and the FBI and stuff, I was like, either he infected her with all this like conspiracy thinking, paranoia, or she infected him or they both just yeah, did it to each other. Yeah, that's called right? The French, <laughs> French, uh, there's a, I think there's a movie from New Zealand that's about a couple of teenage girls who become serial killers oh, uh, yeah. based on a true story, right? What's, I, I can't remember. Anyways, um, that sort of thing. Uh, we're talking about misadjustment in the last, last podcast. Um, one thing I didn't mention there is, uh, um, and I, sh- I should have, so I'm going to mention it here now. Because it makes me think about that craziness that happens in people's lives and then in the world around you. Um, so uh, I I don't talk about it a lot, but I, I follow very, very closely all the trials and tribulations of um, Julian Assange and uh, uh, Chelsea Manning. And because I do, I watch, you know, all the video interviews and uh, listen to the podcast where they're discussing the latest news about these situations. Um, I find it really interesting that now when we talk about what Chelsea Manning was doing, um, when, you know, Julian Assange is going to be charged for this or that or the other thing, she was doing this while she was in the army, right? Everybody basically agrees whether they think she should be locked up in prison or not uh, for being a traitor or what all the horrible things you can throw at this person. Um, Everybody agrees, even the worst of the worst, you know, torture for death. They all agree that she was a she when she was doing that. And ultimately, I have no problem with people switching genders um, because, you know, it's their life and they know what's best to do about it better than probably most of the uh, better than me. It's not my position to judge. But when we all agree that she was a she when she was not a she at that point. It's kind of weird, don't you think? And it's kind of like when I watched a, a video about people who make furry costumes, right? And they they talk about, you know, I'm really a fox. And then they shape the reality by getting that fox costume on and go hang out with other people who think they're a fox um, it's, it's not wrong. It's just really weird. And when you've got a, a weird guy like Philip K. Dick, um, and you've got a, a person who isn't, uh, an immune, <laughs> a shutdowner. Right. Right. Um, who's saying, no, no, we're not having any of that. Nope. Not having any of that. <laughs> right. Um, then you have a, I, is it, it's, it's almost like anti-creativity, right? This is the thing kids have, right? That we all lose when we grow up a little bit. We lose the ability to completely immerse within our, our fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So uh, in role-playing games, Paul, I'm sure this has happened to you many times, where it just gets so late in the day that um, people's, bladders get f- filled up enough and they can they just aren't their character they're role playing anymore right they 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 they, they fall out of the immersions that's Spe- right speakers we got to wrap up shortly got to go <laughs> we're falling out of the immersion right now yes i'm falling that out of the immersion that was a very meta move paul very nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so uh yeah i i would say i was never immersed in this book I was immersed in the art and seeing those images and thinking about, oh, my God, that's where Sir Francis came from. The di- Rather than his story, yeah. I can see, what, I see, can see where you're going with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was much more immersed in Lovecraft's 
book than this. That well, I think he's a he's a a richer character for a life. I don't think uh, Philip K. Dick was you know a stay at home guy in, in a lo- in a large sense on the couch a lot. Um, and obviously Lovecraft was too, but not in the same way. Not in this, I don't know. There's something different. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I find. I mean, I think the reason I enjoy this book so much is I, I just find him so fascinating. All his little like weird pettiness and oddities and all that like normal life stuff, but the way he perceives everything is what's so fascinating about him. I think so. Mm-hmm. That's why, and also like how his friends perceived him. Like it was cool seeing all of his friends in these panels, but I know that there was also things of those friendships missing. Like it was all very friendly, mm-hmm. and I know there was a bit more tension and stuff and conflict that it would have been interesting to see. And he isn't, he's very consistent in this book, and I think he wasn't consistent in his mm. real life, so. Mm-hmm. There's things like that that I think are really interesting about him. I would have liked to see more. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know that another, uh, biography could improve, uh, at least in comics book form. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, I, I think there are better biographies of him for sure, but but visually, I think this is a very uh, only way to do it's that. Really cool uh, would be to get fo- like like I was saying those photographs of Philokidic with his shirt off, playing with his kid in the sandbox, and seeing you know this hairy back. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, <laughs> right? That's that's that hairy monster that he's always talking about. Uh, Showing up, somebody's looking at his own photograph and reflecting on this, and then and that, the, the visualization's important. Yeah, and um, yeah, good book. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.